0: Want to hear another media hack read off partisan talking points? Then check out the mainstream media because American viewpoints with Mike Ferguson is all about thinking independently.
1: Cancel culture. Yep. That's what it's called. And because of it, you could face problems now because of something that you said years ago. And to some degree, all right, you said it. So take responsibility. But on the other hand, we learn, we grow, especially if you said something stupid when you were a kid. So forgive and leave the past in the past, right? Well, Charles Lehman has a thought-provoking column on just this. I found it at AmericanMind.org. It's called The Cancellation Machine, and Charles joins me now. Charles, welcome to the program. Thanks a lot for your time.
0: Uh, Thanks for thanks for having me on.
1: So this is something that I think it's talked about, like in talk radio a lot and on cable TV a lot. And it's often just kind of pitted as, oh, those fill in the blank liberals, millennials, uh, college students, uh, whatever the case is. But what you're saying here is we've really got kind of a bigger, maybe cultural, not to mention technological change that really kind of affects all of us when it comes to what we're now calling the cancellation culture. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I, so, so I think you know where I start is. Uh, there's this big argument about is what what is cancer culture what does it look like is it good or is it bad does it exist at all and you know on some level i think that debate usually frequently misses the point all cultures censure people for something we all agree that there are certain points of view that should not be permitted in polite society um and my argument in the piece more or less is that what has really changed that is getting really very little attention is the degree to which uh, our centrable actions are, the things that we do, the sort of little, what I call little uh, heterodoxies of everyday life, are so much more recorded today than they right. used to be. That yeah. Because we live in a, a an age of uh, digital memory and digital recording, um, the way that we relate to those actions and the availability of those actions to everybody else has radically transformed uh, in a way that's wholly distinct from how really any other human society has dealt with them
1: now you mentioned kind of early on in the piece where you talk about the the post hoc cancellation of people for what they have said and done previously you know results in kind of a widespread sense that we need to self-censor to use your words and i think you're spot on about that i do think more people are saying oh man no delete that tweet or don't even put that joke out there but i wonder could there be unintended consequences for society just by kind of demanding or at least leading to that self-censorship like a lack of discourse a lack of new ideas a lack of debate a lack of elevating our culture i mean do we risk that
0: yeah i mean i i think that we i think that we do i think you have to strike a delicate balance i would argue that you know the sort of sort of categorical across the board, all ideas goes, discourse is not always the thing that is most conducive to successful a successful discursive democracy. Um, but that said, I think that there is some risk associated with that self-censorship. We just have to understand it's not obvious how we get out of the paradigm that is imposed by technology. You know, my argument is that people are not becoming more censorious because they like are thinking badly about how to engage with each other. There's been some change in like everybody's character. People are more censorious because humans are naturally censorious and there is like a new set, an infinitely larger set of opportunities to be censorious now available to us. Um and self-censorship is just sort of a, a natural response to the technological paradigm we're living in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's a couple other points that really kind of jumped out at me. And I think the reason that I really wanted you to come on this program uh, is because this is exactly the type of topic – We should be thinking about because we are seeing, you know, I do think a shift in the way we communicate with each other, the way that we call each other out. But, man, it's different now that we can not only see immediately what we're communicating, but also we can go back and dig through the archives of our lives. If you're young enough, I mean, and see something in a lot of times we're putting yesterday's comments or last year's comments in today's standards. And I don't know that that's always fair and we're not giving people room to grow and to learn and to be forgiven sometimes.
0: Yeah. I mean, part of my argument in the piece is that there has always been, you know, this, you know, uh, forgive and forget is, is the piece of language that we use the yeah. phrase, but there really is a strong relationship between how our forgiving things are saying, are letting bygones be, be bygones and are forgetting things, um, as human beings. And part of what, modern social media, digital recording, digital memory permits us, or causes, is a situation where nothing is ever truly forgotten. Like, you see you know, Kevin Hart got kicked off hosting right. the Oscars um, for some things that he said years and years ago that are not good things to have said, um, but they felt like when you looked at them, they felt like, to us, they felt like they were things that were said today. There was no indication that they were from the past. Um, and so Old transgressions are always new. The past is always in the present because we've lost all of the mechanisms that caused our relationship to the past to erode. Like forgetting is a valuable part of making a more forgiving society. We can't do that anymore.
1: Now, there's one area, there's one thing that you wrote that I'm not sure I totally agree with. So this is going to be fun to to go back and forth just a little bit. Let me just quote you in the piece. And the piece is called The Cancellation Machine. You wrote that it's not that we're more punitive or less tolerant today. It is that we know more about and forget far fewer of people's past wrongdoings, even those that were not then considered wrong. And I, do, I don't think that's wrong. I, I agree with that. Um other than I do think we're more punitive and I think that's a, a, a part of us becoming, at least in my view, more tribal, whether it's political or, or social or or religious. I, I just think we're becoming more tribal and I think we're looking for reasons to, to be more punitive.
0: Yeah, I mean I think the best way to respond to that is in a sense that is true. Um, But that is itself just sort of a product of the technological change you're experiencing. I think, you know, a lot of people say social media has facilitated the tribalization that you're talking about, that, you know, having my news be totally filtered, having my social sphere be totally filtered facilitates the tribalization that you are talking about, that the breakdown of like one dominant narrative into many choose your own narratives has not actually been great for diversity of discourse. And so I so 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 I think it is it may be the case that we are less tolerant today. But if we are less tolerant today, it is only because we are exposed to so much more outrage on a daily basis. Like like the filters for horrible things that people have done, those filters have broken down and -hmm. people are responding to that. Like I, you know, I think humans are at least a little bit naturally punitive. It is helpful to us as a society to be a little bit punitive.
1: Yeah, I, Um, I agree. Yeah.
0: Right. And, and, and so the extent to which we've gotten, it seems like we've gotten ultra punitive, isn't really about a change in our character. It's about the opportunities to be punitive and the incentives and encouragement to be punitive that comes from technological change, that comes from social media and recording.
1: So what do we learn from this? Not just as a society, but like individually. I mean, you would think that somebody listening to us right now would say, OK, lesson is don't tweet so much. Don't put so much on Facebook because God knows how that's going to look or sound or feel five years from now.
0: I mean, I think that's right. And so one of the things really heartening to me is that like Generation Z, the kids who are teens right now, a little bit are starting to get this better than their parents, actually, which is to say Generation Z does not like Facebook. They don't like Twitter. Mm -hmm. They like Instagram and they like Snapchat because both of those things have features that let them auto delete images. (laughs) There are other issues there. Like these kids are very compulsive about curating their image online, but they do understand that the things that they put out there are out there forever. And they're very cautious, and they prefer a situation in which uh, they're able to control and delete things. I mean, you know, uh, I don't have a Facebook. Um, I have a Twitter because that's professionally useful. I, I, All of my tweets automatically delete every month, which is very beneficial. I encourage other people to do it. And I think the best thing to do is to try to prefer forms of media and forms of recording. And interactions with those things that minimize the future risk, that try to simulate some of that forgetting process where we are no longer able to do that sort of in traditional social media.
1: Charles Lehman, um, a senior staff writer with uh, Washington Free Beacon. Uh, What is that Twitter account if somebody wants to follow you or check out what you're writing?
0: (laughs) To see my deleting tweets, you can follow me (laughs) on Twitter at at Charles F. Lehman, L-E-H-M-A-N.
1: Charles, appreciate the time and perspective. This was fun. I think it's important people think about these things. Yep, thanks for having me on. Let's talk money. Are your priorities in order, financially speaking? A new study says that might depend on how old you are and maybe how much money you make. We'll explain in just a few minutes here on American Viewpoints.
0: This is American Viewpoints with Mike Ferguson. It may be hard to believe, but people just like you are already saving money. FeedThePig.org makes it easy. Their simple savings plan teaches you how to start saving without going overboard. So you don't need to start foraging wild berries. I was skeptical, but these are actually pretty good. You don't need to sell your soul to the devil. Fifteen bucks is the best I can do. You just need FeedThePig.org. Don't get left behind. Get tips and tools at FeedThePig.org. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. In the wake of a disaster, what one thing can you send that will help people the most? A blanket. A tent. A sandbag. A doctor. Actually, if you send a monetary donation, you send all these things. Even a small donation can make a big impact and can quickly become exactly what people affected by disaster need most. In the wake of a hurricane, your monetary donation can make a huge difference to those in need. To donate, visit Supporthurricanerelief.org. That's Supporthurricanerelief.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council.